The Muppet Movie is a 1979 film directed by James Frawley and created by the one and only Jim Henson. It is a movie based on the origin of the Muppets, which ruled primetime television at the time. The film is a wonderful reflection of outsider artists trying to find a way in the industry. Today I have on Ben Swan on Workshopping Humanity, where we discuss the cultural and philosophical elements of a piece of popular culture that has influenced our lives in one way or another. This is an episode of Workshopping Humanity. Alright, so welcome back to Workshopping Humanity, Episode 7. We're just chugging along. We're chugging along today to what's one of my all-time favorite movies, so I'm really excited to talk about this. And today we have Ben Swan, who's been a writer for the Toy Box blog for a while now. And this is our first time talking, so this will be fun. Um, Say hey, Ben. Alright, so today we are doing something... Um, let's see. Ah, just a sec. Something weird's going on. There we go. Okay, so today we're going to discuss the Muppet movie. Um, I know Ben and I are both huge fans of this movie, which is why I brought him on. Um, if you guys don't know, um, Ben is the account behind Damn Fine Films, which is a Twin Peaks type of account. And we'll be discussing that towards the end of the year, too, so you can get excited for that. But how we start these podcasts first is just to kind of describe what these movies mean to us. So, Ben, if you can start on that. Just describe to us a little bit what this movie means to you. Yeah, well, The Muppets were one of the first movie franchises that I really got into as a kid. And I think Sesame Street and Delmo and Get Outland were the first ones I seen, but Muppets in Space I remember as well. But the one that really got me into them was The Muppets in 2012, because the game Little Big Planet was doing an event where we could play through Muppet levels and get Muppet avatars, and that really got me interested in wanting to go and see the film. So when I finally seen it, I really loved it. It's a really upbeat and just positive franchise, and I know you're not a fan, Brett, but I really liked the sequel Most Wanted as well. Yeah, we can, we'll can. we probably get into that a little bit later, but I'm not a huge fan of The Muppets Most Wanted, but we'll get there. We'll definitely get there. Um, yeah, if I can just... Oh, no, continue, sorry. It definitely took a while to grow in me as well, but I think I can just appreciate the music in it more than... I've got a few problems with the story for Most Wanted, but overall, I like it. But The Muppet Movie is my all-time favourite Muppet film. I've seen it quite a few times now, and I rewatched it today, and it's just one of those films that's just as good when you rewatch it as when you watch it at first. And if I ever work in the film industry, I definitely want to make something just as optimistic and fun as the Muppets, or just direct a Muppet film itself. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. Um... Yeah, like I mentioned before, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, my distinct memory, so probably my real love for the Muppets started around where you said um, the, that movie had come out, the 2011 one. And I saw that in theaters the opening weekend of a local movie theater that I now 
manage at. So that's kind of a fun fact. But that was, I was around probably 11 or 12 when I saw it. And I thought it was a lot of fun. But it wasn't really, it clicked with me until I was at a DVD store um, in the city next to me. And I was picking out movies I wanted to watch. And I remember picking up um, E.T. and the Muppet movie, which both ended up being very much like tentpole movies for me wanting to get into the industry for sure. So that was an important two pickup buys for that day. And I watched this movie and, and it blew my mind like the first time I watched it. And it was one that I remember distinctly thinking, why don't more people consider this one of the best movies of all time? Because... While it is very optimistic, it's also just kind of like sly and even somewhat cynical look at Hollywood. But of course, it comes with an optimistic ending and it shows kind of, you know, achieve your dreams. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. You can be in this place, you know, be odd. And I think that's one of the most endearing aspects of the film. And ever since then, I've definitely that Muppet sense of humor has been something that I've captured throughout my time in theater and high school and all of that like it's definitely been a pinpoint for me and so I I love this movie I'm really excited to get into talking about it um and so first I'll ask you what are like some of your favorite aspects behind this movie well the thing that really I just love about this film is the soundtrack I think Rainbow Connection is one of the best opening songs to the film ever and it just really nails the theme of the film it like showing Kermit in the swamp just imagining how his life could be one day I think that's everything all artists feel at some point in their lives mm -hmm. and it is this very like wistful song like it is very melancholy and yet there is something so endearing about that opening track. And, you know, it was nominated for an Oscar. I don't know how it didn't win the Oscar. That's very weird to me. But, like, it is one of the most iconic songs ever written now, you know. And Paul, getting Paul Williams behind that project was just their first really smart idea. Because he obviously knew the lingo of the Muppets so well. Um, my favorite scene in the film is the scene where Gonzo sings of the campfire about wanting to go back there someday. I, I find that scene just immensely moving every time I watch it. Um, the movie's really fun and cute, but like, I think essentially Muppets work their best when you understand that these are lost souls trying to find their connection in the universe and they don't quite know where they fit in. And I think that's kind of essential in understanding where the Muppets are now. Like people don't really know what to do with them. And I mean, Disney's handled them terribly now, which is something I'm sure we can get into. But, like, people yeah. don't really know what to do with them. And so it's this idea that they've always been kind of outsiders in this industry, and yet they've contained relevancy for 50 years now. Like, it's insane. They're obviously an evergreen product, you know? Yeah. I think it's just these are all Gonzo, Kermit, Miss Piggy. They shouldn't work together but they do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think if you tie back that rainbow connection at the beginning to what Kermit says by the campfire, there's this moment where he uh, is, has a self-reflection. He's like, I maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe 
I shouldn't have brought these people together and wished them something I can't fulfill. But then he thought, well, I, I would have never left the swamp. I would have never figured that out. And that, like, the last time I watched it, straight up was just like, ugh, that, that hits. You know, it's this idea of, like, shoot, we're never going to quite figure out exactly where we fit into this piece. But, like, if we never try, then we're never going to be able to figure that out, you know? And so, yeah, yeah, I find that probably, mm -hmm. probably and, one of my favorite scenes as well. Hmm? It's probably one of my favorite scenes in the film as well, just because it's just Gonzo. Probably one of my favorite Muppets. Yeah, I, I agree that he's definitely one of the best Muppets for sure. Um, he probably is my favorite Muppet in all honesty. I've, I've gone back and forth on that. I used to be a big Ralph guy. I am still a big Ralph guy. I love them all, but <laughs> that's the thing. Like, they're all yeah. great characters. Well, I don't like Miss Piggy, but I get why she's essential to the team, if that makes sense. <laughs> that's, like, one thing. Um, we talked about Muppets now on... Um, Jared's podcast about Disney Plus retrospective and I had talked about yeah. how I thought it essentially missed the point of the Muppets because like it gave Miss Piggy this whole, her own like beauty salon show and I'm like no the whole point of Miss Piggy is that she's a foil for the characters like she's supposed to be kind of this obnoxious abrasive thing why does she have her own segment that kind of misuses the humor of that character you know yeah Muppets now is definitely the most mishandled Muppet project. And we're talking a franchise that tried a spin in the Wizard of Oz. And we know how that went. Yeah, that's one of the worst <laughs> movies ever made. Like, not even just Muppet movies. <laughs> it's, it's actively abysmal. And it definitely feels like Disney having no idea what to do at first, you know? And yeah. I mean they still don't, but like they never have quite gotten that wrong <laughs> since. So at least there's that. Yeah, there's some imagery in that film I will never forget for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> Is it the one with Gonzo and the chicken and it yeah. 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 Yeah, I lost my mind the first time I watched that. <laughs> it's like you gotta be kidding me. I don't even think, like, Muppets in Space is, like, kind of dated and dumb, but, like, at least it has some stuff going for it. Muppets Wizard of Oz just completely drops the ball. Yeah. Well, talking about the Wizard of Oz, I think the Muppet movie itself, plot-wise, is very structurally similar to the Wizard of Oz. Because you have Kermit at the start, going on this journey and meeting all these characters along the way. Yeah, I can certainly see that. It is... And I love the fact that, like, they're able to introduce every character into this franchise. Um, and, like, you already know who, like, Fozzie and Gonzo and these characters are because you watched the show before then. And yet, the film doesn't rely you just to be like oh here he is here's Fozzie like they all get their own character development and their own scene it's not it doesn't just yeah. feel like it's flying like and I think that's essentially the magic of this movie is the fact that 
it holds its own beyond anything else that's come before or after the Muppets as just this excellent film. It doesn't have to like, <laughs> you know, because you can say what you want about like some of the Marvel films, but you definitely have to watch a lot of them in order to appreciate this one or this moment. And this movie doesn't do that. It, it's its own movie. You could divorce it from everything else and it would still be a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. I think we could say that about a lot of the Muppet films. I think the only the only ones I'd maybe say you have to watch one after the other are the two new Disney movies. But apart from that, Muppets Take Manhattan, Treasure Island, they're all films that stand on their own perfectly. Yeah. Something I think is interesting is I was reading that and I think this essentially might be the issue with the Muppets right now is so the first Muppet movie at the very end, they signed a contract with Orson Welles, which is an amazing cameo. I freak out every time I watch that. Um, Mank is out today, by the way, for everyone wondering, um, at least when we're recording this, Mank is out right now. Go watch Mank. It's great. But, um, I don't need to watch it. yeah, it's very good, but they end up signing this Hollywood contract, right? And they are able to make whatever movies they want. And so after that, like the rest of the films in the franchise are definitely movies they made on that back lot. So like Treasure Island, Christmas Care, all of that feel like it's still that obligation, that that sign sheet that they got from Orson Welles to the point where they're playing different characters and different plots, but they're still obviously like Kermit and Fozzie. And they'll sometimes just completely break the fourth wall and talk to the audience like this is dumb. Sorry about that. But that's kind of the magic is how they're able to break that down. And I think the Disney iteration of the Muppets have never quite captured that. That kind of zany yeah. chaos. Because... My favorite... Oh, uh, go. Uh, my favorite fourth wall break in the whole films, when they first meet Electric Mayhem, and then they say, oh no, we forgot the screenplay. And then Fozzie hands in the screenplay. <laughs> I just think that's a brilliant example. Yeah, it's wonderful. And I love, like, how they show that to, like, the Mayhem band and then catch them up on what's going on in the plot so we don't have to, like, see them. You know, like, in Frozen 2, that's Olaf, like, just completely retells them the first Frozen movie so they're caught up with everything that's going on, you know? It's just like, now they can just read the screenplay because we can do that here. And I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Which, once again, is them recreating their meeting up on film. It's not like the story is them actually making a movie, which is so meta and weird. And yeah. it doesn't take a few times until you realize really what they're doing. And you're like, oh, that's that's ingenious. That's an in, insane idea to make for a Muppet movie. And, I mean, I wish those are the risks that they would take more of now. Yeah. I just think Disney's with Muppets now I think the main problem was putting it in the digital age because all the other Muppets films have this timeless just otherworldly sort of feel to them where they could just be separate completely from our world whereas Muppets now makes a mistake of bringing it into digital technology and Skype and computers and that's just not the Muppets yeah, and I get that. I actually think they're if they retooled Muppets now to make it for a digital age and we're a little bit 
more cynical about it, I think it could essentially work really well. But it's so, like, bland, Disney, like, happy-go-lucky Muppets that, like, it just kind of feels more like a product than anything else, at least in my opinion. Like, because, like, essentially, some of those Muppet shows, like, they have guest stars that, like, you wouldn't even recognize now because they were American icons in the 70s and 80s and all of that. And yet there still is this timeless feeling because they obviously know what they are and what they're playing at. And I don't think Muppets Now is meta enough to get there. So it just kind of feels like its own lame product. Yeah, I get what you mean. Mm-hmm. But even with... I just didn't get all these different segments. They just didn't glue together very well either. It's just like you had one, the Miss Piggy one lasted two minutes and you'd go to the Swedish Chef one and there's just no continuity between episodes and then of course in the last episode when they had the watermark across the screen that just shows you how mishandled the Muppets are. Yeah, wasn't it like the last episode they literally did not pay for the final version of their recording software so like the logo is still on screen? Like that's ridiculous. That's insane. (laughs) (laughs) But that's like and again like because I've talked about this on a few podcasts now, it's just the fact that, like, um, Hollywood, if you want to hire me to do a Muppet product, like, please, please do so, because I have so many ideas for how that would work, and I just feel like it's always, like, how do we make the Muppets a product in 2020? It's not, how do we make a good Muppet product in 2020, you know? Yeah, I think the mistake they've made is they've tried to make it a kid's show, when Jim Henson originally intended the Muppets to be an adult version of Sesame Street. So in the Muppet movie, it's got enough jokes that adults can enjoy it. There's probably more adult jokes than there's kids' jokes, but the Muppets now is the complete opposite. It's just all kiddie humour. There's just nothing of substance in it. Yeah, well, and again, if... If you are, which I agree with you, essentially, like, like I also agree that, like, the Muppets are supposed to be for adults, but kids can watch it with adults. That was essentially his, his pitch. But even if you made a Muppet show for kids, so let's say Sesame Street is essentially a Muppet show for kids, Sesame Street's still hilarious. If you watch the original, like, three seasons that Jim and Oz were on, like, it slaps it's so fun and it's so quirky and it's so inventive so i don't think like making it for kid audiences this gives you an excuse to make it bland and safe yeah i think that's a problem for a lot of studios in general making kids films nowadays is they're filled with fart humor and bodily function humor and there's just no substance to it nowadays and I think it's an absolute disgrace when people like Jim Henson back in the 70s, 80s were making these innovative kid shows with puppets and now all we have special effects that look like they belong in the early 2000s and it's a nightmare. Yeah, I, I, I certainly agree. I think that like, for instance, I've always told people that the reason that the Pixar films work so well and the reason why they've resonated for so long is that the filmmakers of Pixar treated these movies like they were movies first 
and not just like something to entertain kids with. Like you can go and see the Criterion Closet with directors like Lee Unkridge and Andrew Stanton and Pete Docter, and they'll tell you like, oh yeah, I was inspired by the red shoes that make the scene in Finding Nemo. And it's just like, people, like I'm sorry, the Ice Age sequels are definitely not being inspired by the red shoes, you know? It's just like... <laughs> <laughs> and so I certainly think, because Jim Henson, if you read, um, there's this wonderful biography written by Brian J. Jones, which is breathtaking, that is about the rise of Jim Henson and what he was able to do in a short lifespan. And he really wanted to be a David Lynch filmmaker at first. Um, one of his very early college short films was called um, Time Place. And it was nominated for an Oscar. Like it was really big. People thought it was just super cool. And it was about this guy who felt like he was running out of time to accomplish everything he needed to do, which is eerily scary figuring out what happened to Jim Henson later on that he was making that as his college short film. But he was this surrealist filmmaker and he kind of took Muppets, these puppets up as a hobby to do something in between him trying to figure that out. And then he kind of realized later, this is the realm he can work in and do well in. And I think you certainly see that type of ambition and that type of surrealism throughout the Muppets when Jim and Oz and, Jerry Jewell is around writing for them. You get these really just weird and bizarre segments, you know, that like I'm sure have inspired the likes of like Eric Andre and some of these and like Space Ghost Coast to Coast, these surrealist kind of talk show type of things are all stemmed from what Jim Henson was originally doing. Yeah, and there's loads of surreal parts in the Muppets when you look at it. These fourth wall breaks in themselves are just, they wouldn't happen in any other film. They'd feel totally out of place. But with the Muppets, they do it so effortlessly with perfect comedic timing that it just works for them. Yeah, I think a lot of people can now, it feels like the, the it's Deadpool humour now, which Deadpool has kind of emerged as kind of a meme you know, he's like kind of just tongue in cheek and the audience goes, oh, I know I'm in this lame movie and then the movie's lame. And then people are like, oh, but it's OK, because he said he was in a lame movie. And it's like, no, the Muppets were making banger movies. It's just the fact that they knew they were in banger movies. Like, <laughs> it's almost like they flaunted yeah. it to us and we were like, OK, we can accept that because your movie awesome. it's good. I don't know what I was saying. <laughs> I think the the problem with other films trying to do a fourth wall break, like you're saying, is they use it as an excuse to make a bad film, whereas the Muppets used it as a storytelling tool. Yeah, it gave them a unique voice and a unique perspective on the filmmaking process. It wasn't a crutch, like you said. I think that's a perfect way to describe that. Yeah, like the scene in the Muppets where they give the screenplay over Deadpool would do that just to make the plot convenient. Yeah. Whereas the Muppets does it as a form of humour. Mm -hmm. And it is like, totally that is a crux so they can understand what's happened up to this point. But like, it's done so cleverly and like effortlessly that it doesn't really matter. Like, you're like, oh, that's clever that they did that. It doesn't feel like, oh, okay, whatever, you know? 
<laughs> those don't look like Presbyterians to me. You know, it's just <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favorite lines in probably any Muppet film. In any movie, just to be completely honest. Yeah, the Muppets, like you said before, when the Muppets and Twin Peaks exist, you don't need anything else. Mm-mm, no. I would love if they did, like, a crossover thing, and it's, like, the Twin Peaks, I mean, the Muppets at a Twin Peaks <laughs> movie. Oh, How that, would would be would that be fantastic. Can you just imagine, like, uh, Fozzie coming on on screen and being like, there's a fish in the percolator, waka waka, I want that. Yeah. <laughs> or the Red Room, it's uh, Stadler Moldorf heckling Kermit, who's Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> this is some uh, damn fine coffee, Miss Piggy. Oh. <laughs> we need, we I need think to we, make this. this is yeah, we need to start writing that. Oh. I, think, I think if we pitched us the lunch, he'd be completely cool with it. Yeah, maybe that's what Wisteria is, who knows? Uh, I don't know, I, maybe Mark Frost would help write it, I don't What's he doing now? David Lynch, if you're watching this, get to it. Yeah, come on, please. Also, give us credit. Be like, yeah, Workshopping Humanity, I listen to that podcast every week, and I heard this episode, and thought, hmm... Let's make this. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. It's it's funny. Um, like, a few years ago now, quite, it's been quite a few years ago, we had this little podcast on Tristan's YouTube channel, and we'd have debates about things. And one of the questions that we debated about was, what would be the perfect Star Wars movie to make? And I pitched a Star Wars Muppet movie. And, like, they were all talking about, like, serious, like, additions to Star Wars. And they were just like, no, that's not what... And I'm like, no, that'd be the best Star Wars movies you can make, is if you just introduce the Muppets in Star Wars, have it be its own separate thing. That would be hilarious. And I feel like we're getting closer and closer to that being a reality, and I'm, I'm like, into that. I'm hoping they try something like that. Yeah. Who would you cast as Chewbacca? I think Sweetums. Sweet, Yeah, yeah, totally. That's That's great. I love that. Um, you know, um, Snoke could be, uh, Slatter or Wardall for both of them. <laughs> That'd be great. The Ewoks could be Mini Ralphs. Yes. <laughs> are, are there Baby Ralphs? We could do that. Muppet Babies introduced Baby yeah. Ralph, I'm pretty sure. We need a Muppet Babies film as well. Yeah. Yeah. The baby, like, that cartoon is one of the most successful things the Muppets ever did. A lot of people don't even realize that. The Muppet mm. Baby cartoon blew up. Yeah, and it's one of probably my favourite scene in Muppets Take Manhattan, which is probably my least favourite Muppet film, but I still think it's worth it just for that scene alone. Okay, do you agree with me on this? Because I don't like Muppets Take Manhattan either. I'm, I'm not a fan. I know a lot of people like it. Like, a lot of Muppet purists think it's great. I've never gotten the appeal, though. Yeah, I don't hate it, but when it comes to the Muppets, there's no fourth wall breaks. There's no... They break up the gang for most of the movie. It's like a Scooby-Doo episode. Yeah. I, it's I not always, the Muppets. I always felt like it was just, like, sad. And I'm like, I don't want to go to the Muppets to feel sad. 
Yeah, is there not like a plot where Kermit, like his brain tumor, forgets himself or something? Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the best Muppet movie, like, I think my my top three Muppet movies, which I think most people would agree with this, are the 7191, obviously, and then the 2011 reboot, and then the Christmas Carol. And I think what those three have in common is the fact that, like, not only are they just super fun and entertaining, but they all do have a melancholy to them and kind of this mm-hmm. remembrance and understanding of the place of the Muppets. And I always felt like Muppets Manhattan was just sad. Like the Muppets break up. They don't remember each other. It just kind of wallows for yeah. a bit. And I've never like dug that. Yeah. And there's, there's not really any decent music in it either. Apart from them together again, at the very start. Yeah. I also have to say, if Happiness Hotel's in that one, but Happiness Hotel's in a Muppet Caper, right? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. Yeah, I believe it's in Muppet Caper. Some of them, because Muppet Caper is actually a ton of fun. I love Muppet Caper. I think it's super. Yeah, I've not seen Muppet Caper for a while. Yeah, that one's like, and again, if we get into this, that's a reason I don't like Muppets. Uh, most wanted is I feel like it's just like a lesser Muppet Caper, like because it's kind of the same aspect. But the thing about Muppets Most Wanted is like they send Kermit to prison and then Constantine is kind of his replacement. I think Constantine is just an obnoxious character and I just vehemently dislike him, which threw off the whole movie for me because he spends so much time with him. And I also hate Ricky Gervais as an actor. Like I just his his comedic sensibilities are just not for me. And so like I think there's yeah. like, a lot of personal grief and Muppets Most Wanted. Like I get why people like it. It's just like has so many things that set me off. Well, yeah, I don't like Ricky Gervais as an actor as well. I don't even really like him as a person. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, so he's definitely the weakest point of that film. But Constantine, the best line is uh, the lovers, the dreamers, and cheese. That, okay, I'll give you that. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, that, that makes me laugh every time. <laughs> I love... Uh... <laughs> Because Brett McKenzie did the music for that, and I love Brett McKenzie. I've actually seen him live. Because um, I saw Fly the Concords live a couple years ago, and that's one of my favorite shows. And he was hired on to do the Muppet songs after Fly the Concords ended, which is like the perfect, perfect person to get that. And all those songs work really well, but like, there was the song about the cockatoo. That always makes me laugh. I always think that's kind of a banger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The song and. What's it called again? Uh, Something So Right. I think that's a really good song. Hmm. Probably. It's been a while since I've watched Most Wanted. I own yeah, you should give it another shot. I own the Blu-ray now, so I should probably revisit it at some point to see. But I just remember seeing it in theaters and being really disappointed because I love the 2011 one. Like, I love that movie a lot. Mm-hmm. It's such a weird follow-up, is what I'll say, because it's tonally completely on the other side of things than the 2011 one. Yeah, well the 2011 one was definitely, like, and I think it's one of the, the strongest reboots, or I guess not reboots, but like reimaginings almost, because once again, in great Muppet fashion, it's a whole movie about how the Muppets have been irrelevant for so long, and they're able to play that to its strength. 
and instead of being this like really depressing like dour movie it's like oh get back up and realize your importance and the only issue i have with that movie so at the end of that movie they lose and kermit's like it's okay that we lost we tried and we're here together as a family let's go out and embrace the fact that we tried to save our theater and then they go out and they're respected anyways for that. And I thought that's such a powerful way to end it. And then the end credits are like, oh, they got their studio back because like <laughs> Gonzo threw a bowling ball at this guy's head. And I, that's always bothered me. I've been like, no, just just let it to where they lose the studio. That That's so much more powerful. Yeah. I don't really understand why they went for that. It's probably my pet peeve when it comes to movies is exposition or plot details given after the credits or in a montage like another film i can think of that does its rocky four there's a montage where it cuts out half an hour of the film or what should be half an hour and flashes newspapers on the screen for oh this happened this happened this happened (laughs) so you get half an hour's worth of plot development in five seconds yikes i've never seen rocky four so i couldn't tell you but that sounds atrocious (laughs) yeah Yeah, I've, I'm behind, I know a lot of people who, like, checked out all of the Rockies. I've only seen the first one in Creed, so I'm very behind on that. Yeah, surprisingly, the Muppets and Rocky have a lot of similarities, because in Rocky V, Rocky gets irreversible brain damage. Hmm. Oh, Muppets take Manhattan, I think, might have inspired Rocky V. That, that's interesting. You never know. I mean, you never know. Um... But, like, okay, the 1979 movie, to get back to that, right, has... Yeah, it's a bit of a tangent. Oh, no, it's all good. <laughs> has, like, moving right along in the fork in the road line. Like, just <laughs> iconic, right? It has yeah. the fair and Gonzo flying up with the balloons, like, iconic. Like, there's just so many iconic sequences. It's so hard to talk about because it's like, yeah, this movie's perfect. Like, how can we... Yeah, any criticism I would have for this film is just nitpicking. What nitpicks do you have? I'm curious, because I literally can't think of anything that's wrong with it, if I'm going to be completely honest. The only thing that I'd nitpick a bit isn't necessarily to the film, but see the special effects when they're dancing on the stage in the bar. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, they're a bit outdated, I think, and it kind of takes you out of the film just for that like two minute scene yeah certainly um and i guess like i give it more of a pass because number one it's 1979 and what they were able to do with yeah. the puppets then are insane anyways but number two it's this goofy irreverent movie and so you're like oh that makes sense it's a muppets you know it's not like it's trying to be like transformers or something yeah, I think that's just me being a 2000s kid with all these nice special effects we have nowadays. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. But and I think, but to be fair, I actually think that like some of the Muppet effects hold up way better than uh, CGI effects of the 2000s that can be oh, all done through a computer and this is like all practically there. You know, like there's Muppeteers like controlling these Muppets to, like, ride on bikes. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've actually been, for a class, working on a video essay about the sound design of the Muppets. 
And something I found was very interesting is the fact that like some of the Muppeteers literally as they're on set have like mics on their head as they perform their dialogue so then they can add it in later. And you wouldn't think about taping them around their head, but like where else is it going to go? You know, like it's just weird things you have to think about in that specific situation. Which is why I think sadly a lot of movies don't try to use puppets now because you have to think a whole lot more than just like digitally putting some numbers into a computer and bringing something to life. Yeah, Jim Henson's feature workshops definitely had a lot of influence on films back then. Star Wars, Little Shop of Horrors, The Plant and that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know that... um, Jim Henson and um, George Lucas had a really close friendship. And actually, they, the movie, the Muppet movie, and the show was recorded in a soundstage just across the street from where Star Wars was being filmed. So they knew each other pretty well and what they were doing at the time. So Yeah. Actually, a very interesting story I read was the fact that um, George Lucas actually gave Jim Henson the job to voice Yoda and control him in Empire Strikes Back. And Henson said like he was honored to do that, but he thought that Frank Oz was a better actor than him and would genuinely fit the film better and gave it to Oz. And I'm like, can you imagine doing that? Like, that's such an honorable thing to be like, you know what? I'm going to pass Star Wars just because I know my buddy would be better. <laughs> Yeah, I think Jim Henson, thank God, their real-life friendship really translates onto the screen between Fozzie and Kermit. Their chemistry is absolutely perfect. The lines just bounce off each other so well. Absolutely. I mean, 100%. All of the, I think all of them did. Because all of them had this, like, decorum, and apparently, like, you listen to the guest stars on the Muppet show and they're all just like, it was the funnest environment to be in. Cause all these guys were a family, a goofy family, just like their puppets were, you know? Yeah. Um, there is one incident, um, Richard Hunt who performed Scooter and a few others who unfortunately died of AIDS. I think a few years after Jim Henson died, um, he on the set of the Muppet show had said something bad about one of the guests and apparently the guest overheard and was upset and they thought that Henson was going to be really, really mad about it. But like Henson apologized to her and said, you know, that wasn't okay. And um, apparently asked Hunt to go into his office and just hugged him and said, don't let it happen again, you know? And so yeah. You guys see all these ideas of like Jim Henson could have lost his temper because he was this like imaginative guy and he was this innovator and those people can be hard to work with sometimes, but he just seemed like a sweet human being. And I think Kermit is totally a translation of Jim Henson's ideas and dreams to want to be a filmmaker and a creator. I think the Muppet movie is certainly somewhat autobiographical to his story, which is why it holds up so well. Yeah, definitely. I think since Jim Henson died and Kermit's, how many, I think it's twice Kermit's been recast, so it is. Yeah. Yeah. Ever since, they've just never recaptured Jim Henson's magic as Kermit. And who's the new voice actor? It was Matt Vogel before, so it was. Or is he Kermit now? Yeah. Um, Steve Whitmire was Kermit and then he got fired. 
and then replaced with someone else. The new person's gotten a lot of scrutiny online for like not sounding like Kermit, and I don't want to be mean, but I kind of agree with that. I every time he opens his mouth, yeah. I'm just like, there's a disconnect going on here. I don't. I think Steve Whitmire did a really good job um, playing Kermit after Jim Henson had passed. Of course, you're never going to beat Jim Henson because he's Jim Henson. I mean, that'd be a tall order for anyone to say. But you know, Steve Whitmire, he knew. Henson. He worked with Henson closely. He was one of the upcoming Muppeteers, so I think he obviously got what Kermit was about, even if he wasn't Kermit. So I think, I think the new guy they have essentially just kind of does a goofy voice and goes, "Ah, oh, it kind of sounds like Kermit." We'll we'll pass with that, you know. Yeah, the thing was a funny story is when I was a kid, I watched the 2011 version first. So I was really used to Steve Whitmire's voice. So when I first watched the Muppet movie with Jim Henson as Kermit, I was so confused at why Kermit sounded so different. Yeah, it, it, there certainly is. You can tell. And even, like, sound has evolved since 2011 from 1979. So, like, there's definitely a different sound quality as well, which contributes to that. Mm. But it is a little jarring. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to argue against the fact that Henson's best Kermit. Yeah, I don't, and I don't think anyone could could compete. And I think that's essentially mm -hmm. another reason why the Muppets are weird. And it's also a reason, like, why there'll always be people who complain about Star Wars. It's like George Lucas's original vision will forever not be a part of Star Wars because of just how where it is now. And that's that's fine. You can make more Star Wars things. It'll just never be what you thought it was before. And so people will complain. So like, well, this isn't my Star Wars. But it's like, things should also have room to breathe and grow and evolve from what they were. Just as you know, there's original and there's new iterations of this by filmmakers and up-and-comers who have a vision for this. So like, if one day, for instance, I was cast to perform on the Muppets or I was a contributor or I was a director or a writer I know for a fact I want to be Jerry Jewell or Jim Henson but like I would want to make something that was interesting and I think they've certainly tried a lot of things at Disney with the Muppets but like nothing that's really stuck yeah I definitely want to well this is just presuming that I get into film but I really want to make, if I made a film, I would try to use as many practical effects as possible. Like last year I'd done a college course when I was making a puppet film. So I just ordered two cheap £5 hand puppets online and made this wee short film. I never got to finish it sadly because of the pandemic, but it was it's really difficult. The people don't realise how much effort was in just for one hand movement of these puppets or just even control their mouths. There's so many mechanisms and things you have to do just to get it a finished product. And then you have to take into account that the actors have to be hidden so that you can't see their heads on the screen. And I think that that's really helped me working in that project understand how hard puppetry actually is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and 
I mean, that's also like I've been working on a short film right now, and there's a scene where um, this woman gets like attacked by this monster. And I remember being like, shoot, how am I actually going to execute that? And I won't spoil how I do, but there was this moment where me and my cinematographer were talking and he sent me a message. Um, and on Amazon, they sell like 30 foot Muppet creatures you can just buy on the lot. Ooh. And I thought about that for a long time. I was like, shoot, that could actually work. But I thought it would probably be too goofy for the movie I was going for. But it is interesting because I, I wondered how, because I was like, once you got that, won't you still have to operate it and figure out how to make it move and how to make it work? All of that fun stuff. Yeah, like I think it was the most complex puppet Jim Henson made, I'm sure, was Audrey too. Yeah. I'm sure there's like an insane amount of people inside that tiny area of yeah. the puppet, like each controlling a different arm and then you had to someone else controlling the head and I just don't know how they done it. Yeah, my uh, high school did a little shop of horrors my freshman year of high school and they had to bring on a, a puppet like that they like I think rented from like a from a lot, you know, from like a theater rental lot. And they had like three people having to control in the back and stuff. And, like, <laughs> I think the night I saw it, like, it was certainly, like, they were having the mover, like, they were sweating afterwards, because <laughs> it was so difficult <laughs> to get that to work. But, like, I would just wish at the time I would have been able to do that, because that would have been really cool. It would have been a really interesting experience. Or, like, you know, there's also, like, later on, because there's been this big push to make a more adult-oriented Muppet product, and... It, it very much did because of the award-winning musical Avenue Q, which is excellent. But what's weird about Avenue Q is that, like, the performers just sing, like, on Broadway and just kind of move their Muppets around and kind of mouth the things and stuff, and yet it works. But, like, if they did that in a yeah. movie, like, you would never think that would have worked in a movie. But on stage, it's fine. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think with something like Avenue Q, when it's on a stage and you can see the performers, it's different because stage is more acting and singing based, whereas film is about pure immersion into this world. Yeah. But when you're watching a stage show, there's kind of that level of artificiality on top of it, if you get what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely get what you mean. I think obviously if like the new Muppet show like let's say the ABC one came out and there's people standing behind the Muppets at all times voicing for them you would never be able to buy them you know but I think if they ever made an Avenue Q movie they couldn't do it the same way they'd have to completely change their direction yeah have you seen Avenue Q think... out of curiosity anything from it uh, I've seen clips of it and I've listened to the soundtrack and I do really like it. Yeah, it's very interesting. I've, It's one of, like, I have a long list of episodes I want to do for this and it's, like, one that would be for a while, but, like, it's one I definitely want to dive into because I have a lot of interesting takes on that musical. I think it's really interesting. That and Happy Time Murders, but yeah. for completely different reasons. Oh, I was just going to bring that up. I've still not watched it because I refuse to see Jim Henson's creation butchered. 
it's it's absolutely terrible it is so horrendous um i was so excited for that movie when it was coming out i thought oh this will be it this is going to be this really interesting and subversive thing from the jim henson company they spent 10 years making that movie literally the amount of time the henson company made happy time murders they made like 15 marvel movies or something like that like it's a ridiculous thing (laughs) and I saw that with um, in a rabbit room with a bunch of friends, um, some mutuals on the toy box server even. And after the movie was over, like they were like, "Brett, are you okay?" And I was just like, "No, I I, I gotta leave, guys. I just gotta go. I can't <laughs> even like talk about that right now." Yeah, and the fact it was directed by Brian Henson, Jim Henson's son. Yeah. How could you? How could you? Do that to your father's life and legacy. I I don't like. I think he had every good intention in the world. It's just the project kind of fell through, and I kind of put most of the blame on Melissa McCarthy coming in and doing a rewrite of the script to sell it to a more broader audience. I feel like we would have had something much more interesting if, but like a lot of the jokes just resulted down to uh, the the Muppet said the f word. You get it. <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> okay, then what does he do after that? And that's essentially the, where the humor went. And it was just like, okay, that's not interesting. Yeah, I think the Muppets, not the Muppets, but Jim Henson Studios, other films have made, Labyrinth, The Dark Crystal, those were quite adult and more like dark than the Muppets. And that was the way. I imagine an adult version of the Muppets to be is sort of more like Labyrinth or the Dark Crystal than the Happy Time Murders. Yeah, well, the Dark Crystal is, is surrealism. It, it is very weird and abstract, and like people didn't get it when it came out. They're like, "This is dumb," and now it has this cult following. And the Netflix series, which is absolutely amazing, by the way, like just excellent. And so. I think that should be the direction they go, even though The Dark Crystal unfortunately got cancelled recently by Netflix, but... Yeah. Actually, what's interesting is I didn't realize how much they filmed the new Dark Crystal series on a back lot. Um, Last summer, I went to Hollywood and actually went to go visit the Jim Henson studio, but I couldn't go into it because the gates were closed because they were filming The Dark Crystal when I went. And so I kind of stood outside of it and looked around a bit at the front of it and you know he was he used to be owned by charlie chaplin when he was alive so there's chaplin stuff in it too so that's really cool but like i thought that was interesting i was like man because you watch that show and it's like some of this was done on a sound stage and it looks so immersive pretty like it's it's wild what they can do it's absolutely insane yeah it's the fact about these sets that you see these were all man-made but nowadays, like Marvel films, you can stick a green scene at the back of them and just project onto it whatever you want. Whereas this was art. This was people working in all these sets and bringing their ideas to it rather than just working in computer-generated images. Yeah, another thing I find like so compelling about... like. So Henson always was talking about how he didn't want his product just to be labeled for kids. And what was so interesting is the Emmys awarded Dark Crystal the best children's programming of the year. 
And as cool as that is, because like I'm glad it's getting recognition, there's a scene where a character like bleeds out on screen. I was like, all right, for kids, that's interesting. <laughs> I always feel like he's been a little misunderstood in that regard. Yeah. Well, Jim Henson's always had this really dark undertone. Like in Labyrinth, the whole plot's based around David Bowie taking a girl's uh, baby away from her. Yeah. Like, that would never pass nowadays. I don't know if it would never pass, but, like, because you read some of those classic, like, fairy tales that, you know, Disney does major revisions of. Because it's, like, in the original Little Mermaid, it's like, she loses her voice, realizes, oh, shoot, maybe I shouldn't have been lusting after this guy, and then straight up dies, and then it ends. <laughs> and they're like, well, yeah. we can't make that. <laughs> we can't make that our Disney film. So... But some of those are like really, and then there's Pinocchio where they don't even hide it. Kids sin, turn into donkeys, and then get sold to slave mines, and that's the end of them. So like, it's crazy. Disney's dark. <laughs> yeah, like, and so like I think the idea that like this, this Goblin King comes and steals a baby and stuff, like these children folklores and these tales should explore issues like that because like the world isn't sunshine and rainbows all the time it mm -hmm. there's legitimate consequences that happen when you act poorly and there's legitimate consequences that act that happen whenever you aren't empathetic and you are selfish and i think stories need to continue to be told of why we should have empathy and love for other people and I think some of those classic fairy tales exp express that in a, in a, in a real way. I mean, like, for instance, the Bible is very rated R, very rated R. <laughs> some weird yeah. stuff that happens in that, but obviously there's truth to it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I didn't mean to go from the labyrinth to the Bible. That's kind of a weird stretch, <laughs> but <laughs> here we are. <laughs> Well, yeah, I do agree. The main story of the Bible is someone getting crucified on a cross, so it's not very child-friendly yeah, reading. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting. Um, there's this park in uh, Florida that's probably like an hour or so away from um, Disney World called Bible Land. I don't know if you've heard about this. But, like, It's an entire theme uh, based around the Bible, and I don't know if it's sacrilegious or not. I just, but I'm like, I'm sure they mean well. I don't know. Um, yeah. But, um, I've heard of the big boys arc. Yeah. I, yeah. But like Tim Tracker went there. Okay. Like, I'm a big Tim Tracker yeah. fan. And he went there and there's this like, they're like, okay, we're here for this like stage show. And like, it was, it was the Jesus stage show where he was being crucified. And I remember thinking, holy crap. Like the kids that are in that audience are going to be like, shoot. Like, we're not used to this. Like, it's very jarring, you know? Yeah. I know that they mean well, but, like, at the same time, I'm like, that's that's intense to have at, like, your Disney park. Like, can you imagine that being happening at a Disney park? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, wow. Um, I know, I, I can say I live an hour away from Silvalar City, which is a theme park in Missouri, and they have, like, a nativity show every year at whenever it's Christmas time. And that makes more sense because that's peaceful. Like, you know, that, that that's just solemn and good. But like, 
shoot, there's some dark stuff that happens, you know? Yeah. I'd like to know there's another Tim Thacker fan as well. Isn't he the best? I love his kid. Yeah. His kid's adorable. A little Jackson Tracker. <laughs> anyway, that was a big tangent. The 1979 Muppet movie's really good. <laughs> oh, how did we end up from the Muppets to the Bible again? <laughs> <laughs> this is this is what happens on the show all the time, though. Did you... Uh... <laughs> Um, it just went down a deep rabbit hole. Yeah, the um the Figment episode. I don't know. Like we did a, a two hour Figment episode, and we talked about literally everything. You know, went okay. So like, yeah, the Figment <laughs> ride needs to be fixed. <laughs> but you know, went down this hole about like Bob Shapek and why he was ruining the parks and all of that fun stuff. And we were like, yeah, I mean, that all stems back to the fact that. Figment needs to be fixed. This all stems back to the fact that the 1979 Muppet movies is really delightful and kind of spiritual experience about trying to find your voice when you're an outsider or at least feel like an outsider. Yeah. One thing I've heard someone, I've heard this earlier, it's insane. Someone compared the story of the Muppet movie to Cats. Because all the Muppets appear, sing a song, and then at the end, they all get their dreams. And the more I think about it, the more I can see the similarities. But I just thought that was a really bizarre way of looking at the Muppet movie. That's insane. But yeah, that kind of works. That's weird. I've never thought about that before. But yeah, I mean... I haven't thought about cats as much, <laughs> but yeah, that that kind of. I have a funny story about cats. If we can get off of this real quick, um, so I saw it last year in theaters. Um, I was paid twenty bucks to watch this movie at work. I screamed it, and I screamed it the day Star Wars came out. So imagine there's a Star Wars screening happening right next to me, and I haven't seen it yet. But I was like, you know what? I really want 20 bucks. I want to watch cats by myself. And so I'm in this theater by myself and it opens and like that opening like shot of that, like weird cat lady coming up on screen. <laughs> I laughed for 10 minutes. I don't think I could tell you what happened in the first 10 minutes. Cause like, I was just laughing so hard. Cause it's like, I'm a 21 year old dude sitting in this theater by myself watching cats. <laughs> I cannot believe it. Exactly. It's just such a mind-blowingly awful disaster. I don't know how it happened. It's kind of delightful, though, of how, like, it's so <laughs> terrible that, like, if someone was like, hey, you want to watch Cats tonight? I'd be like, you know what, I'm down. Yeah, like, the mouse, the mouse kids and the cockroach people talking about stuff like Labyrinth in the Dark Distal. That's the stuff that will give kids nightmares, is those cockroach people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was some, but you see, like, okay, I think that Cats just is a bad musical, even if it's on Broadway. Like, I don't know, I think Weber's a little overrated. But regardless, maybe the Henson Company and their prime would have been able to make an interesting Cats movie. But, like, they tried this new technology, and they should have not tried that new technology, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's we all seen how that ended up. 
it's it's horrendous and terrifying to look at. That's for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, if people think Gonzo is, is scary, which he's not, he's pure. Watch, watch cats. Yeah. Watch cats, definitely. Mm-hmm. If you've not seen it, watch it right now. Don't yeah. Google anything, just watch it. Just like... I'll forgive you if you just click out of this podcast and just watch it and then listen to the rest of this podcast after you're done watching Cats. And then, uh, log after you've been covered. Log it on your letterbox and uh, tag me and Ben in it and <laughs> I'll shout you out if you do that. Yeah. It's, uh, we should do a, a workshopping humanity episode on Cats. Kind of down. Definitely. At some point. Hashtag cats challenge. <laughs> That's I'll just I'll say this on the podcast right now. Um, I'm making a season two schedule, and one movie making the list that's going to be very weird is Hoodwinked. Do you remember Hoodwinked? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's going to be an episode. <laughs> We're already. That's it's actually movie. quite a good film. Yeah, very good movie. That's why I wanted to put it on there. I'm like, this is a good movie, and we need to talk about. And maybe it has the worst animation of any movie I've ever seen, but like it looks. Yeah. Like <laughs> I don't know how such a good film has such terrible animation. It's because you know it was distributed by the Weinstein Company, which yeah. was definitely an animation studio that just wanted to capitalize on animation and did not care whatsoever about anything else. I mean. It's not as bad as that chicken scene like we said earlier in the Wizard of Oz Muppets. Oh, but nothing is. Nothing <laughs> no. is. Absolutely nothing will ever compete with that. Um, I watched that. That's on, just. I watched that on a rabbit stream as well, and I, I lost <laughs> my mind at that. I was like, I can't even handle that right now. Like, <laughs> I need to watch it, and I've not watched it for years, but. Yeah. Anyways, that's what happens when... I mean, it's just... What sucks? I always think about... If Jim Henson was to still be alive, like, where the Muppets would be now, you know? Because mm-hmm. I still feel like... We could have definitely gotten a distribution deal, and I think Disney would have ended up owning all of Henson Studios. I don't know if that would have been for the best or not, but, like, if Henson was still around, I feel like they would have... Well, Disney really, really wanted Sesame Street, but Henson was like, no, that's that's going to be uh, PBS's point-blank period. That's that's mm-hmm. their product. We already made that deal. Even though now it's HBO's, so that's a whole other thing. Yeah, Sesame Street's... I still can't believe a show that's been running for that long is still so successful. And the fact that they've included... Oh, what's her name? Leah. Uh, yeah, characters like that just shows Jim Henson's legacy and how it spread on to show kindness and show different types of people. And well, I wrote a paper in college about the there's an episode of Sesame Street that was a direct response to 9/11, where Mr. Hooper's um, store burst into flames and it really freaked Elmo out, you know, and they and they held him and told him about the scary things that happen in the world sometimes, you know, and of course, Mr. Rogers would do that too. You know, Mr. Rogers is super radical. He would have an episode where he's like, okay, kids, your parents might get divorced someday. And it's just like, what on earth are you doing? But like, also how many, like you you learn a lot 
from that, you know? Yeah. They aren't just sugarcoating the world to these kids. And I think that's kind of the beauty of public access television to begin with, is the fact that you can go into serious topics like that. Yeah. Jim Henson and Fred Rogers definitely have a lot of similarities from what they're trying to achieve on the TV back then. And I don't think without Sesame Street, you wouldn't have Mr. Rogers. And without Mr. Rogers, you wouldn't have Sesame Street. Yeah, there's the iconic scene where a big bird runs into Mr. Rogers in the neighborhood, you know, and that's just like, oh, this is like the Avengers. <laughs> like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there, is there not also, I'm sure there's an episode of Sesame Street where Big Bird dies. Or have I just misremembered that? It's to teach kids about death. No. Talking about how Mr. Rogers touched in these topics. So, Mr. Hooper died in Sesame Street because the actor died. And there was an episode yeah. where they told Big Bird that Mr. Hooper died and it was him trying to re like reconcile the fact that he wasn't going to come back. And that was... That is a devastating episode of television. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like Yeah, that's the episode I remembered. Yeah, it's it's rough. But like I'm sure that resonated with kids at the time. It wasn't just like Dora learning teaching you how to do numbers or something. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it I think that's an important thing. I think it's important that not necessarily that we make children's television overtly political but we teach the ideas that are important and you know about inclusivity and love and all of that and i think pbs has done a great job doing that yeah that's what ultimately makes jim henson's films and tv shows stand out from the crowd is that most shows just teach ABCs and just, like I mentioned earlier, just these simple and throwaway gags, whereas Jim Henson actually taught them life lessons. Mm -hmm. And again, the Muppet movie, the 1979 Muppet movie, I think why it resonates with me so much is that it is a life lesson specifically for creatives and specifically for filmmakers. It is this idea that you need to leave the swamp and try this thing out. And Hey, there's going to be big, scary people that try to eat you. Maybe not literally, but <laughs> it's okay. You know, like you're going to, you're going to find your group. You're going to find your groove. Um, you're going to fit into this puzzle, even if it's a little crooked. There's a running gag in the Muppets movie, the Harry Christian one. I don't know if there's any significance to that. I'm not really sure. Do you have any thoughts on that? What running joke was it again? I apologize. The Harry Krishna joke. Oh, oh. I don't know if it's just a joke. I also know that they have the thing with Sweetums. <laughs> he keeps getting yeah. behind every place, you know? <laughs> And it could spell into something deeper, or it could just be like, oh, it's kind of funny they leave Sweetums behind because he's this big monster and he wants to join them and stuff, you know? Yeah. Best final shot of a movie of all time is, well, I won't spoil it in case people haven't seen the film, but you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if you haven't seen the Muppet movie, 
um, drop everything you're doing right now. Um, I know you might be like, well, I have like a doctor's appointment. And if you're not getting tested for COVID, cancel your doctor's appointment and see them up in the movie. Um, it's, it's essential. I mean, why are you so heathen if you've not seen the Muppet movie? Yeah, let's say, <laughs> if you haven't seen the Muppet movie, I'm, I'm scared for you. Uh, we need to reconcile this right now because it, it, yeah. this, this is important. This is essential viewing. This is... Especially when you're probably never than a bit into a podcast about the Muppet movie. Yeah, that's also concerning. Probably would help. Would probably help people understand what we're actually talking about. Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen the Muppet movie, right, and you're just listening to this, it's probably because of me. And if so, like, thanks for listening. That's cool. I I'm not that important. Watch the Muppet movie. It also could be because of Ben, if that's the case. And uh, again, please watch the Muppet movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then after that, watch um, Twin Peaks, because that's important, too. Oh, mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. If So the schedule's out. That Twin Peaks episode like might have two or three different people on it. And that's going to be a time. Like I'm, I'm thinking that's going to be like... That's going to be the final episode of season one, and it's going to be like an over two hour extravaganza of us just talking about Twin Peaks. So that that's going to be insane when we get that schedule. Yeah, I, th- I don't think it will be two hours. More like twenty five years. <laughs> more like when we're done recording that episode, they'll be making Twin Peaks season four. <laughs> we'll be like, well. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, have you heard of that band that's, like, making music that's, like, a million years long and it's still, like, going on right now? <laughs> well, I've not heard of that. Yeah. I heard of the one that was, like, it was meant to simulate dementia or something. Yeah. Um, and it was, like, an eight-hour experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about that. I was concerned to listen to that. <laughs> I was like, yeah. It yeah, it doesn't fun. really sound fun. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like a good time. But yeah. yeah, there's a song. It's like called Bull. It's from a band called Bulls of Heaven, and it's still being recorded right now. Now, if you listen to it, it just sounds like bump, 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 bump. Like it sounds like you're typing in the wrong key on a computer <laughs> to try to get into a website. So I don't know if that's considered a song, but like they considered it. So I don't know. Yeah. So the Muppets. <laughs> This is the most side tangent episode, but I love it. This is great. <laughs> this is a good time. This is what happens when you get banned in an episode. <laughs> this is what happens whenever you're like, I showed up to the podcast recording half an hour late. That's my bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, they're still using practical effects today. Not to get back on this, but like, I'm so glad that Baby Yoda is like a puppet now on Mandalorian. That's cool. Yeah. So that's that's become a thing. I need to watch some Mandalorian. Yeah, it's it's super fun. Um season two's not quite as good as season one, but season one is like great. And what's so interesting, so Warner Herzog, who you know is this crazy he's a madman, but cool guy. <laughs> cool, interesting filmmaker in the art world, um, is in the first episode of the Mandalorian. He plays this keeper. Which was super cool for them to get anyway. So like we have Warner Herzog on the Star Wars show. That's insane. And 
he started crying when they brought in the baby Yoda puppet. He was like, oh, it's so cool. I love it. And then they shot the scene. And then they're like, all right, let's do a scene without it. And he was like, well, why do you need to get another one without it? And they're like, well, if it doesn't work, then we'll just put it in with CGI. Yeah. And, um... Well, we couldn't have just done that in the past. They had to just stick with footage. Yeah, but he essentially was just like, you're cowards. <laughs> if you do that, you're, you're cowards. If you just CGI it in mm-hmm. after you made that puppet. So they kept it. And now he's like America's sweetheart, so... <laughs> I don't know. It should be on... Is he as huge here as he is in the UK? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. There's big giant Baby Yoda pop Funkos when you go in everyday toy shop around. Nice. Alright, cool. Because that's about where how it's like here as well. I would love to like talk about that at some point on this podcast. Because like, I know you from the UK. Um, there's another toy box rider who lives in Australia. I'd love just, like, to talk about the cultural differences because like I've never been overseas before, so I have no idea what a place that America doesn't look like, you know? But I've always been interested. Yeah. I've always wanted to visit America. Just seems so interesting and Florida and Route sixty six and Hollywood. It just seems it's Is it as good as they say? Uh I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> um, I mean, of course, you got the Disney Worlds and stuff, which are great, and the Hollywood and stuff. Um, it's it's a cool place. It's a good place to live. It's just, it has its own issues. But I mean, I guess every place has its own issues. You know, not, not to get yeah. too political here, but we just had a tyrant as our president for the last four years. So that was fun. But, you know, it just <laughs> happens. <laughs> we, we get it wrong sometimes. That's called life. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you as long had, as it's not like Mulholland Drive. <laughs> yeah, which I haven't seen yet, but apparently that's like a trippy version of Hollywood that I uh, need to watch. Yeah, it's been on my watch list forever, and I've just been like, I need to like prepare, like mentally prepare myself for that movie. It's like eyes wide shut. Like I need to just like prepare myself to be freaked out for an entire afternoon. <laughs> yeah, eyes wide shut when I don't see as well. Yeah. My friends wouldn't bother it off me, and I still don't even watch my DVD, so I need to get on that. Yeah, it's just, like, I actually was reading about how that was, like, Kubrick's, like, most successful commercial film because of the tabloids that were going on about Tom Cruise at the time and Nicole Kidman, and how, like, people were theorizing that was um, an autobiography of his life. <laughs> Which is crazy to think about. Like, it was actually this commercially super successful movie. And if you read about it, like, definitely would not be the case now. Um, that is yeah. a weird movie. Because, of course, this movies get, like, main play now. Like, people like 2001 and The Shining and Clockwork Orange. When they first came out, people were like, what? Yeah. Clockwork Orange. When I first seen a Clockwork Orange, I absolutely hated it. But now it's one of my favorite films. Yeah, I I love that movie. Um, I mean, I love that movie, but I also don't like watching it. But I also love that movie. If that makes any sense? Yeah. Yeah. Imagine the Clockwork Orange with the Muppets in it. I feel like that would work. <laughs> waka Waka Ultra Violence. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Um, Sam the Eagle is the prison guard. Yes. 
we we got we we there's so many Muppet parodies we gotta make. So Twin Peaks, Clockwork Orange, um, Eyes Wide Shut probably yeah. wouldn't work. <laughs> no, I don't think that's a good idea. It's called Meet the Feebles. Peter Jackson made it in the eighties. Oh, I've heard of that. Um, I haven't finished it yet, but I watched like the first fifteen minutes. But it is a bunch of puppets having sex for the first ten minutes. It is very interesting. <laughs> that that dude's insane, but I love him. Yeah, I don't think I'll be fitting that in my watch list anytime soon. <laughs> but I know some people are like, it's pretty much like the good Happy Time Murders, and I can agree to that. Mm-hmm. So at least it's interesting. At least this is yeah. like some dull, some dull R-rated comedy decided to put Muppets in. Like, it's actually its own thing, so. Um. Well, maybe that could be a toy box article one day. The similarities between Eyes Wide Shut and Meet the Feebles. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's going to be a video essay. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Okay. Is there a market for all these Muppet parodies? There has to be one out there. There is, so, you know, Noah Baumbach, who's the director of Marriage Story and Francis Ha and a bunch of great movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's fantastic. He did a, um, there's this New York cinema that will invite directors on and they'll do a double bill. So they'll play two movies and then explain why they played them. And he played Eyes Wide Shut and Babe Pig in the City as his two movies. And <laughs> they asked him why. And he's like, I think they're pretty much the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what so i've been really wanting to watch babe 2 now because apparently it gets really weird <laughs> what happens in babe 2 um i listened to a whole podcast about it recently it, it's i can't even like i haven't seen it yet so i can't describe it that well but like apparently like the animals like try to kill each other several times and there's like <laughs> Apparently, like, some guy just, like, the main farmer in the first babe, like, almost dies in the first ten minutes. Like, gets stabbed by something. Like, it's wild, apparently. Yeah. It sounds like Animal Farm. Yeah, kind of. Um, it has this cult following now, and I think Gene Siskel even said it was the best film of 1999. And that was the last movie he awarded that before he died. We talked about this on another podcast, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I've told this twice now. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure the Yee episode I talked about Babe Pig in the City, so maybe that should be another one we talked about at some point. A running gag. Yes. Um, a sit down, that podcast that I'm a part of with my friend Tyler and our friend Ben. Um, the first season of that, um, our friend John, who's coming on this podcast in two episodes, I think. Um, we have a thing called like what we indulged in. So, like, what we watched that week, and every week John would be like, yeah, I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and it was a running gag. He did it every week, but, like, we bought it, and I don't think everyone caught on to it. Like, they just figured he watched it every week, and we talked about it again. <laughs> like, yeah, I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again. Yeah, it's still good. It's still three hours of my life that I, I spent watching that, which, I mean, would be worth it, because it's a great movie, but, like, <laughs> yeah, it's still funny. Um is it after your time now? It's 5.01 here. Yeah, it's one minute past 11. Oh, okay. We can wrap it up then. All right. It's been brilliant. Yeah, this has been, this has been good. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think we're the farthest away from the Muppet movie we could be, but... <laughs> eh, it's, not, it's all good. So, I'm going to ask you right now. 
What are your final thoughts on the Muppet movie after talking all about that? It's a masterpiece. I can't even say how good it is. Yeah, my final thoughts. It's one of my favorite movies. I, It is very weird. Like, I haven't seen it probably in a year, so maybe that's why we went off on whatever. But, like, also at the same time, I mean, all these podcasts go off on all sorts of tangents. That's the point of a podcast. But I think essentially, like, yeah. outside of me saying, like, yeah, this is a movie that means a lot to me. It connects to the filmmaking experience. It has the creator aspect to it. The Gonzo scene makes me cry. Like, the rest of it's like, oh, it's just this delightful, fun movie that we all like. And it had influences on all sorts of different people in different ways and different medias and different cultures. And it was this imaginative thing. So I think this whole conversation kind of, kind of comes down to that, you know? It's this... This is a celebration of everything that's weird and goofy in Hollywood. And uh, I couldn't love it more if I, I tried. It is like, I think my number yeah. seven of all time. It's like way up there for me. It is it is a perfect movie in my opinion. Um, and that is episode seven of Workshopping Humanity. And uh, Ben, where can people find you? Uh, well, I'm working in my David Lynch podcast. Yeah. So look out for that next, it should be out next Wednesday. Oh, sweet. What's the first episode? The Elephant Man. Ah, oh, sweet. I haven't seen that movie yet, and I feel really bad because I really want to. Well, that's another celebration of someone who's diverse yeah. and different from others, but celebrated in a kind way. Yeah, absolutely. I've been meaning to pick up that criterion. I hope to do that soon. Yeah, definitely watch it. Mm-hmm. And then I know you have the um, your Instagram page. Yeah, Damn Fine Films. So you should totally follow that. I'll have the link in the description. Um, and he's written several blogs for um, toybox.com, so you should check those out, at Ben Swan. Um this is a Toy Box podcast. You can go follow the website, toybox.com, T-O-Y-B-O-X-D.com. Um, my name is Brett. You can follow me on my Instagram at artpig underscore review. So I'll usually post everything I'm up to then. Uh, I've got a short film coming out in a week or two. Um, you should watch that. It's called Rusted Silhouette. It's I'm, go- I'm going to send it to Ben at some point. We, we talked about this, but like I'm majorly editing it right now, so that's why I haven't. Um, it's going through some, some revisions, um, but it, it's going to be cool. It'll, it'll work. Um, it's just yeah, very can't wait to watch it. Thank you. It's, it's going to be a good time. And stay tuned for next week. Next week we're actually talking about Almost Famous, which is my second favorite movie of all time, so that'll be a good time. So, See you guys later. Adios. Yeah.